When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TV, comics, movie stars, hit singles and some toys. It's trivia and dirty jokes, an evening with the boys. Once is never good enough for something so fantastic. So here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Here's another Gilbert and Franks. Colossal classic. This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. Our guest this week is a producer, stand-up comedian, comedy club owner, voice actor, and popular and versatile actor of both the big and small screen. You know him from feature films such as A Bug's Life, Ratatouille. Uh, music and lyrics. I know I pronounced that. Music and lyrics. Finding Nemo. The Pacifier. Tangled. Christopher Robin and Ralph Breaks the Internet. And dozens of TV appearances, including Roseanne, Seinfeld, Fargo. This is us. I'm dying up here. Law and Order SVU. And Penny Dreadful City of Angels, as well as a terrific Jackie Gleason biopic and his own situation comedy, Till Death, which I've heard of. And of course, as police officer Robert Barone and the long running Everybody Loves Raymond, for which he took home three well-deserved Emmy Awards. As an actor, he's worked with everyone from Woody Allen to Robin Williams. And as a stand-up comedian, he's played to sold-out rooms and open for legends like Diana Ross, Sammy Davis Jr., and Frank Sinatra. And since 2012, He's been the owner and operator of Brad Garrett's Comedy Club at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. His 2015 memoir, and it's a funny one, it's called When the Balls Drop. I think I can relate. (laughs) Please welcome to the show one of the funniest human beings on the earth and a man who somehow managed to piss off Oprah Winfrey, Bill Cosby, and Jilly Rizzo, the multi-talented Brad Garrett. Oh, and that was the that was the cut down introduction. That's the cut down that, one. 
That's unbelievable. How are you, Gilly? Hi, how are you, Brad? I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Nice to see you, Frank. Good to and, see you and, again, and Brad. Everybody. Thanks for doing this. Oh, it's a pleasure. Gil, are you okay? Yeah. I, I for you know, considered for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the podcast is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And it just, uh, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Now, I right before, right before this interview, I was watching Chicago PD, that uh, another Dick Wolf. And right. The the lead guy on that, uh, to me, sounds exactly like you and everyone loves Raymond. Really? Yes. You'll have to watch that show. It's In a, Chicago PD? So yes. Do I have to watch it? <laughs> who's, who's the actor, what is, what is your cable out, Gil? Uh, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you into the P, the Chicago and the the Nashville? Uh, no, PD no, the, I wind up watching. You like procedurals, them. though. They're they're good, right? Some, yeah. You're yeah. great. You're yeah. great in those two Law and Order episodes. Thank you, Brad. That's really good. Nice. I got listeners have got to watch those. Thank you. Yeah, you, I did a you play a wonderful sociopath. Thank you. Well, typecasting. <laughs> what can I tell you? Now, and I worked. I, I think on at least two of Till Death. Yes, you sure did. You were hysterical. We had a lot of fun in those days. I I, I think you played, didn't you play a friend that was, uh, like in real life, very well endowed? Yes. Uh, yes. Am, I, am I right? <laughs> yes, he was and Tommy you're... Campbell, your, next door, your new next door neighbor. Yeah. Tommy it, Campbell, it's that's like... right. It's like we just got through playing tennis or something, and yes, we're in the and, locker room, and right. I pull my shorts down, and right. you you are in shock. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I still have night tremors. <laughs> it was... It was <laughs> I was the guy with the big dick, so... Yeah, I, yeah, was, I wish I was. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> If I was in proportion, we wouldn't. I wouldn't have to do this. Yeah, Gil, it's referred to in that episode, which I watched last night, as as to one of the two episodes, as a trouser cannon. Yeah, a tr- uh, that's what Gil said, right? Yeah, and a Brad, trouser cannon. Brad, you complained to 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 your wife at one point that you're sure. uh, that you're built like an Asian child. Yes, that's that's exactly right. The lovely Jolie Fisher. Oh, we had so much fun on that show. She's that, great. Uh, she is amazing. Did you have? Do you remember the, uh, being on the show, Gil? Absolutely. I remember okay. the first show I did. I was the, you know, of course, the neighbor, right. and um, <laughs> I, I, I had like a young, hot-looking wife. So you were yes. real jealous of me. Sure, like you do now, <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert. You're playing your usual creepy, absolutely yes. <laughs> pervert right. guy. I've cornered the market. <laughs> yeah, and also uh, Joe, uh, well, oh, Martin Mull. Martin, yeah. Yes. Martin Mull was uh, in very he was. He's so terrific. We had a great time. No, no, you, I had trouble getting people to watch it. I remember right before they canceled us, um, and, and we tried everything, but, you know, you got to get people, and they weren't, they weren't watching, and we were getting... I got a call f- right before they canceled us after the last time we aired, get a call from like the head of Fox at the time. And he says, listen, 
He said, you know, the ratings aren't great. We've tried to do all we can. And I said, we appreciate it. You've been very supportive. They gave us four years, almost a full four. He said, you know, last night you you got a point zero six in the overnight rating. Point zero six. Not a one, a point zero six. And I went, oh, that's that's rough. And he goes, so you know, we're gonna have to do the inevitable. He said, is there anything that you would like us to try before we, you know, unfortunately have to cancel you? And I said, just give us three more episodes to air, and I guarantee you, I can take you to a zero. <laughs> he didn't get it. He, 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 was, he was like, well, why would we want that? I said, I said, look, any big shot can get a two, three, a four, one. You'd be the only network that has a show that is literally a zero. That doesn't mean anything to you at all. And needless to say, that didn't help. Uh, and we were we were canceled the next night, but it was a, it was a lot of fun. The the fascinating thing about Till Death, Brad, is it was oh, it was a different show almost every season. Yes, and in the four and in the fourth season, it became surreal, like the old Abbott and Costello. That's exactly series. right. We, it, was we, like, we, it was like anything goes. Break the fourth yeah. wall, you know, raunchy jokes that I can't believe yeah, you guys were doing they, in prime we, time. We ended up they changed my daughter on the show three times. Three times, yeah, three, right? We had three different yeah. daughters and. Uh, the the woman who would sit there with the script and and do the continuity uh, uh, took her life actually after season three she was so crazy I didn't mean to bring it down but she was like you're killing me here oh, no. with the continuity she says who which one's the daughter now and um, but it, it was it was crazy you know we we didn't we didn't know what we were doing but uh, we had fun and you know you never know. You never. She she didn't really Gilbert, take your character. Life. She was she was Jewish, oh. so she said, "You're <laughs> killing me with the continuity." <laughs> she goes, yeah. I bought it. Yeah. you're a convincing goes, actor. Gil Gilbert, you had a sheep fetish. Your character. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, I was just gonna say that. I I, <laughs> I said uh, the wives wanted a meat, and I said I don't like people. I like sheep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the way you, uh, you still deliver it unbelievably. Uh, we had a lot of friends on that show too. JJ yeah, Wall, yeah. yes. Je my friend, my old friend Jerry yeah, Lambert and, uh, and played J Stan and Kevin yep, Rooney. JD Smooth was on it. Jay the hilarious uh, Anderson. Smooth and we had uh, Dom Marrera yeah. played. Uh, uh, oh sure, the, yeah, obstetrician. the obstetrician. So we had a, we had a lot of. Uh, that's a great thing when you when they let you do your own thing. You get to bring on people you like. Unlike Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember there was another on the show where uh, uh, Jolie Fisher says to you, you of, of me, she says, you really envy him, don't you? You want to be him. And, and you go, no, I like being able to reach for the peanut butter. <laughs> Is that what I said? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know the the second episode ended with outtakes. Another thing you guys were doing in season four. Yeah. There's a there's a garage sale. Martin Mull has the painting. Yeah. That get Gilbert's character. Gilbert, your character's a little like Rodney's character in Caddyshack. He's a vulgar rich guy. Uh, yes, that's right. He's a little like Al Chervik. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then you guys, and then you screw up a line. I'm watching this thing, and all of a sudden, you guys break character. Oh, yeah. And, and it's just outtakes. 
Oh, we had the best yes. time. Yes, yeah. yeah. I I remember. Uh, the I I supposed to lean in to Martin Mull and say, "So, Grandpa, what puts the, <laughs> <laughs> what puts the smile on your face?" And the minute I said, "Hi, Grandpa." I doubled over laughing. Yeah. And then that was it for this scene. Oh, Martin Ball, he could, he, he's so, just amazing. Oh, a treasure. Did, did, you, did Jolie ever introduce you to the old man, Brad? I'm, in, in, uh, in doing that series? Did you ever meet Eddie Fisher? You know, I, I didn't. No, never uh-huh. met him. Uh-huh. But um, uh, I met the mom several times, Connie. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, just, just a delight. Just a sweet, a, sweetheart. A larger than life character. So you, sweet. Yes, she is. Yeah, a real star. Jolie, Jolie, one time said to me, uh, "She goes, you remind me of my dad." Well, she said that to all men she feared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's that's not a compliment. <laughs> oh God, I hope she doesn't watch this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Did she really say that? Do you get she Eddie Fisher that. a lot, Gilbert? Do people look at you and go, yeah, all Eddie. the time? I'm yeah. so sick of him yeah. right now. <laughs> He'll sing, "Oh my papa." Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my papa, so gentle and so lovable. There you go. Now, now we get it. <laughs> Brad, do you want to talk about growing up and being kind of obsessed as we were with comics that would come out on the Carson show? Oh, sure. Specifically sure. Rickles, staying yeah. up to see those great comics and or being obsessed with the old Dean Martin roast, which we talk about a lot here. Uh, the Dean Martin roast. You know, I, uh, you know, to me, Rickles is, you know, was really one of my faves. And I, I, because I really don't have an act. He did, but I just, I just love to spritz and, and, you know, play off the crowd and really, you know, kind of do, uh, you know, the insult thing, the racial thing, which, um, may have to come to a stop, but, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, I've always just loved kind of writing that, you know, I really didn't know what my, what my tone was for so long and when I started out you know I was it was very you know very pedestrian comedy it was very hacky it's still hacky but the difference is it um uh it, it's never gonna change I'm hacky you know I've always felt like an old Catskill guy even when I was 2021 20, doing my stand-up and I started doing impressions and you know I, you know horrible things like you know what what if, what if Bill Cosby was a pilot you know, before he was a rapist, you know, and um, <laughs> I would do, I would do crazy stuff like that. And then I just opening for all these acts, these big acts where, you know, they never want to see the opener. I just ended up going, well, I, you know, I, I mean, how much material can I do on my birth? You know, being a 12 pound baby. How? Um, and I just broke out of the act and started just, you know, kind of roast in the front row and the people always coming in late for the opening act. And that's kind of where I found my my niche, you know. And But I remember seeing Rickles on Carson, when, you know, when I was 11. And I remember Johnny and Ed crying with laughter. And I was like, how is this guy getting away with, you know, calling Ed fat and a drunk and talking about 
Carson's wives. I mean, this was just taboo. This was crazy. And, you know, then I would see Carlin on there and, and, you know, Rodney was a, was a big influence for me early on. And, and, um, so it was but, event television with three networks. Remember, Gil? Oh, yeah. yeah. To, to stay up when it was a special night when a comic you wanted to see was coming on. Who were your Remember? guys, Gil? I mean, who, who when you were starting out? Oh, God, so many. I mean, the ones you mentioned, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, I remember the older comics I loved, yeah. like Milton Berle, Jack Benny. Yeah. yeah. Groucho. Sure. Loved Groucho. Yeah. It was, it was a different era. And, um, a lot of comics helped each other. You know, it was, it was just a different thing. They would help each other out. And that's, without sounding corny, I, I always wanted to have my own club because I started in that town and I've been working there for over 30 years. And people were really, really good to me and they really helped me out, even at times when I maybe didn't deserve it. And um, I just never forgot that. And it's great to find amazing talent on the road who can't get on a, a lot of these shows. You know, back in the day, if you killed on The Tonight Show... You know, you had a pilot deal the next. Not that I ever killed on the Tonight Show, because I never did. <laughs> they were all quite mediocre, honestly. But I remember back in the day, or when Ray killed on Letterman, she sure. had the pilot the next week. Nowadays, it just, it seems, even though there's so many more outlets, it seems 10 times harder for young comics to uh, to really score. You well, know? It, it does... it's just like I always say, like, years ago, it, it, as if you were an actor, if yeah. they saw the back of your head in a crowd scene for two yeah. seconds, yes. the next day everyone wanted your autograph. Yeah. Now you could. <laughs> right. Now you I could. Think, I think that's porno. I yeah. Think that's, that, that, yeah. <laughs> if they see the back of your head and they watch your other, I I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's now, different now. You all dis you, sure. you disappear. Now you too can many. star in 5,000 TV shows a yeah. night. And yeah. people say, I saw you still working. Too yeah. many shows. Yeah, that's it. It's it's too many shows. The era that Brad's talking about, Gilbert, we mentioned this on the show. Didn't Gabe Kaplan get a sitcom just from, from that bit that he used to sure do? Sure did. That, that Cotter was in his act. Yeah, yeah. And he would do yeah. the Ed Sullivan. Correct. The, the Ed Sullivan. And, and that's, you know, that was it. But like you said, Frank, there were three networks. And, uh, and that was, you know, that was, uh, that was a way to go. Staying up to see Rodney or Rickles. Oh. You remember, remember the bit with Rickles and the geisha girls in the tubs? Oh yeah. Oh. With Carson yeah. throwing with wrestling each other in the, in the hot tubs. Yeah. They, and the, and the time he broke his cigarette lighter and Johnny yeah. takes the camera crew to go find him where he's shooting CPO Sharky. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. remember with, Event television. With it Rodney, it was like two shows a night. First is yeah. stand up. And then the panel was even funnier than the stand-up. Yeah, that's right. And there were 90 minute. it was a 90-minute show, Carson. It was an hour and a half. What did you love about those roasts? Because we, we love them, too. We have a great affection for them, too. But oh, as them. an adult, you look at them again and you see how, how they're assembled. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it was great. It was, it was like the biggest stars not doing what they usually do. So right. it's like it was like a crazily uh, crazy bachelor party that you got to watch of these huge icons. I mean, you know, when they when they uh, roasted like John Wayne or or sure. Peter, I just rewatched the Sammy roast the other night, and uh, it was you know it was 
It was just great. It was just, but it was that, you know, you felt that camaraderie, you know, you felt that there was a closeness. I, I, I think that's why the Friars Club really never took off in, in our era the, the, the way they wanted it to in New York and especially L.A. But um, it was just some of my favorite stuff because I think people love it when when someone gets roasted, whether they're in the front row, whether they're on TV, because it, it evens out the playing field of life where we always feel we're not as good, we're not as talented, we're not as successful. And regular people feel that in their own life and in their own work. So when you're taking a shot at an icon or a guy in the row, in the front row with a gorgeous chick and, and, and a beautiful watch and you're, you're, you're devouring him, there's, there's something wonderful about it because it just puts everyone in a vulnerable position. And I also... When I would watch stuff like that, well, I was also a major Jerry Lewis fan. Sure. Did you ever meet him? Uh, yeah. And how was that? I can. I love being able to use the classic line. Well, he was always nice to me. Right. 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 Good. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And with Good. Jerry, I'm sure he respected you. Yeah. yeah. He. I remember sitting outside. The Friars Club, when they were putting a plaque of him on, and and I wound up sitting next to Jerry, and uh, wow. he would, he was the Jerry you want him to be, you know, like uh, silly great. and yelling and heckling people, and and every time he'd make some dopey joke, he'd right. he'd laugh at his own joke and then turn to me and <laughs> squeeze my arm, like like to. Pulled me into it, and I oh, thought God. this. Like, this like is, what do you think of that? Yeah, that yeah, exactly, and How that great. to me was that's a, an honor. Yeah, that's like getting an award. You bet. I remember one other thing, because we were talking about how the fries, all those roasts were put together. Yeah. I remember meeting Milton Berle, and him saying that at those things they would go. Okay, uh, Milty, um, uh, you heard something really shocking. All right, uh, and they point the camera at him. Okay, uh, now you this this is making you angry. Really? And, yeah, and he they'd give wow. a bunch of reactions. Oh, you mean they'd get the pickup shots yeah. after the fact? Yeah. yeah, you could tell like somebody's pounding the table. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or sh or shaking their fist. Ruth Buzzy's hitting Orson Welles with the purse. Sure. <laughs> so, so I guess they only had two cameras. Yeah, probably. Uh, right? Wow, that's that's yeah. amazing. If you go back and you watch him, even if you watch the the late night promos for the for the DVDs yeah. of the Dean Martin roasts, you can you can see how they're how clumsily they're assembled. And and when I watched it didn't those, matter. It's when true. I watched those old comics, I thought, uh, this is what I want show business to be. Yes. Yes, that's exactly, exactly right. And that's how I felt. But it's, it's not. No. <laughs> it's, it's really, really not. Um, did, did you interact with Jerry, Brad? I met Jerry once when I was opening for Sammy Davis. Um, Sammy ended up doing uh, like five nights at Bally's with uh, Jerry Lewis. So I went in and I saw the show and it was... a. You know, to me, performer-wise, there was no one like Sammy Davis Jr. I, I mean, 
you know, and, and what's funny is I grew up listening to that. I grew up, the records in my house were, were the, when they weren't being thrown, were um, uh, Sammy Davis and Tony Bennett and Sinatra. So even though it was a little before my time, I, I, I just had such a fondness for that music. And I still do. And uh, being able to open for Sammy and these guys, it, it was such an honor. But what was so funny is uh, when, when they were doing the gig, they were co-headlining Bally's, uh, Jerry would come out, he would do 30 minutes, Sammy would come out, he would do 40, and then they would come out together at the end for a 10-minute encore. And God bless Jerry, he couldn't let Sammy have his total 40 minutes. It's like he's doing, you know, you know, he, he, he was doing like, um, like, like, like his big thing back then. They were really going to get Sammy Davis Jr. They wanted him to star in Phantom of the Opera. Wow. And he was, when he got sick, he was, because I was on the road with him at the time, they were actually nego uh, negotiating it. It was huge on Broadway. And he was going to open um, in London, in Phantom. So, and when he does Phantom, God bless him with his face, you know, he would look at me, he'd go, you know, I don't need the mask. You know, <laughs> I, got the, I got the, I got the Salomo here. I got the, here and and so when he would sing when he would sing Christine touch me you know and he would and it was the pin spot on Sammy and he was fitzing and he was supposed to play a deformed guy sure. God bless him who the Phantom was so he's going Damnware nightly everywhere and he's doing the thing and in the background <laughs> is Jerry Lewis going back and forth on a bicycle <laughs> yelling. Yelling, lady! Like every every two minutes, and the first <laughs> night I went twice. The first night, you know, uh, Sammy was like, you know, kind of letting it go, and you know, doing secret. Oh, yeah, look at this guy, type of thing. And by the second night, you could see that it was, you know, it was his his encore number. I mean. You know, Jerry was coming back anyway. It wasn't like they weren't going to see him again. But you know, that was that That's was Jerry, so and Sammy took it like a real trooper. But um, that is what are you going to do? That's sort of typical Jerry, isn't it? Yeah. Bill? Oh, yeah. I got one of the great, one of my greatest showbiz stories, and I'm, I mean, I, I love this, and, and I know it, it may be in the book, but no one read it, so this will be fresh. But. Um, <laughs> When we when when you would tour with Sammy, he would never fly. So you had to go on one of his two tour buses. And they were custom made where everything was to his scale. Okay. And he would cook Creole food on a little hot plate in the friggin' bus. You know, you're you're it was during the summer tours. Remember the tents, Gilbert? We would do the tents oh, yeah. back east, the melody tents. <laughs> So we would we would drive on the bus and he wouldn't put the air conditioner on because he would say the chops I can't have for the chops I can't have the AC. He'd say if you don't like if you don't like my bus if it's too hot go on the band bus. Well it was fucking Sammy. I wasn't going to go on the band bus. So I'm a, and I'm I'm schwitzing and I'm on the thing and he's making the creel with the, it's a hundred degrees and so uh, 
he used to love Orange Crush and Strawberry Crush. It's it's big with the brothers. I don't know if you know this, Bill. Any, any fruit with a cart they love. So he said, okay, we're stopping at the gas station. Next gas station, we're getting a soda. So we stop at this gas station in Cohasset, Massachusetts. The bus opens up. Sammy Davis gets off. And, you know, he would dress during the day with all the stuff on. So he gets off the bus. The people at the gas station are freaking. And... We're standing in line. It's the band. It's me. It's him at the at the vending machine to, to get a soda. And he was always so gracious. Everyone would go before him. And I was so nervous. I was letting everyone go before me because I was so brand new. Right. I just started. Work. So it's at the end of the line and it's me and Sammy's behind me. And it was in the days where you had to have coins for a soda and. I don't have any coins, and I turn around and I go, Mr. Davis, can you change a 20? And he looks at me, he goes, babe, a 20 is change. (laughs) 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 Wow, a 20 is change. That's a great show. I love this. That's a great show. But he was the kindest man. Tell us uh, that whole all those stories. How you you had that job opening for Frank Sinatra? Yeah. Well, that was in the intro where he pissed off. Well, you pissed off Jilly. Yeah. 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 Now, yeah. Well, first there was like Sinatra used to mispronounce your name. I think. Yeah. Well, you know, I opened for him when he was really in the twilight of his year. I mean, I opened from the last two years he was alive. Okay, so the memory wasn't uh, incredible. And he called me Greg Barrett, okay, instead of Brad Garrett. And, you know, I wasn't in show business long, but there was, you know, there's an old adage, you don't correct Sinatra, right? So for the first two weeks, I'm taking a bow to another fucking name, you know? He's going like, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Greg Barrett. And I'm out there, I'm taking a bow. And uh, one night I go off stage and I go, um, uh, Julie Rizzo was in the wings. I go, Mr. Rizzo, can I ask you? So I said, uh, um, you know, uh, Mr. Sinatra is, uh, is pronouncing, you know, my name incorrectly. And he looks at me, he goes, do you want the gig? <laughs> okay. And I went, well, no, I'm having a wonderful time. He goes, I've been a friend of his 42 years. Half the time, he don't know who the fuck I am. I said, okay, okay. But then the other night, uh, about a week later, I'm, uh, I'm, and, you know, opening for him was, was a horror show because, you know, it was $200 a ticket back in the 80s. And that was a lot. And, you know, no one wants to see the opening act. And I'm in Atlantic City. And I'm just, I'm dying. I mean, I'm just eating it. And um, Jilly would say, now remember, when Frank wants to go on, he'll tug on the cord. You never knew if you were doing 20, if you were doing 10, he would tug on the cord and you had to wrap it up. So I'm bombing for about 10 minutes and people are just going, Frank, where's Frank? You know, during my entire set, where's Frankie? You know, it's this type of stuff. And uh, I feel a tug on the cord and I'm like, oh my God, out of all the nights he wants to get on early, I'm going to have to. So I say in a sarcastic way, but kind of, you know how we do jokes for ourselves? 
Gilbert, yes, you're so the king of that. Absolutely. You're the king of that. I, I, so I say, you're the king of that. Yeah. Okay. So so I say, uh, you've all been great. Uh, stick around for Frank. <laughs> okay. And uh, they didn't get it. And I get off stage. And as I pass Frank in the wings, I hear him say to Jilly, find out what that means. Okay. So <laughs> now I'm in my dressing room. And there's a, there's a knock on the door. And it's Jilly. And one of his big people, Hank, you know, who was who made me look petite. That's how big this other guy was. And Julie goes, uh, Frank wants to know what does it mean stick around for Frank. And I said, Well, no, it was it was obviously a joke. And he goes, But they're here to see Frank. I said, Well, that's that's in there lies lies the joke. You see, I said I was bombing. So when I said stick around for Frank. I was making fun of myself because why wouldn't they stick around for? So I'm explaining it, and they're glazed over. <laughs> so Jilly, Jilly looks at the bodyguard next to him. He goes, "Mikey, what did you hear?" And Mikey goes, "Well, I heard him say stick it to Frank." <laughs> I, okay, so right away I'm going, "Look, there's not a man alive who would say stick it to Frank, <laughs> especially on a microphone, right? In Atlantic City, <laughs> right. you know." And they were like, well, we don't get the joke. And then all of a sudden, I was opening for Liza. That was my punishment. Uh, and Dreesen <laughs> was, was back. Liza. And Dreesen was back, yeah. 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 So we just feel Dreesen was the main guy. <laughs> of course. But, you know, once in a while, you know, he would fill in and Dreesen would take the time off. But it was a time of my life. It was, you know, there's nothing like it. Well, two things with that story. Your your mom, if I have this right, your mom was offended that you were bowing to the to yes. the name. <laughs> yes. What did she tell you to do? She she comes to me. She goes, I don't understand why you're bowing to someone else's name. Your name is Brad. It's not Greg. And like a schmuck, you're you're, you're thanking him. I said, Mom, it's it's Frank Sinatra, and I'm, I'm not in the point. She goes, Sit him down. Just sit him down. I go, I'm going to sit Frank down, sit him down, and introduce yourself. Go, Frank, I'm Brad. And then he, and then he introduces you. Yeah. Of course, there's a woman who's been married six times. So, you know, she, she, she had it down. But, but, but I remember, I mean, as a joke, the crew, they had a shirt. On one side, it said, stick around for Frank. And on the other side, it said, Greg Barrett. And that was our tour gift. That's, That's right. what they gave me at the, at the well, end. But, but what happened with Liza, too, that, you, that she, she wound up in tears? I made a Liberace joke. <laughs> uh, okay. And uh, it was like the first night I was with, and it was, it, it, it was about, and it was a hacky joke, Gil. It was something, we were in Vegas, and I go, uh, uh, if you go to the Liberace Museum, just just don't sit down anywhere. You know, it was a, a ridiculous, not a great joke. And she comes backstage crying, crying. She goes, why would you make a joke about, uh, about Liberace? And I really thought at this point that they're setting me up to, you, you know, I, I go, I, it was just a joke. It, it didn't mean anything. She goes, well, you know, he's my godfather. And I went, Liberace's your godfather? And I said it like that. And I said, boy, it's a little, little different than the movie. Huh? And, and she was, you know, so I've never, um, you, you, you've been able to make a great living, Gil, saying what you want. I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. Uh, 
<laughs> Although, I've lost I a couple of jobs saying what I want to. Uh, yeah, but beautifully, but beautifully. <laughs> yeah, he goes down in big flames. I love it. Now, when you were on that infamous roast, yes. one of the most famous roasts you that you were been. on with that line after 9-11, right? Yeah. All right. How did you feel before you did it? And did you know it was going to get that? And how much did you really care? It was funny. It's like I wanted to be the first one to address the elephant in the room. Because yep. the, the roast, Hugh Hefner was in New York, and it was yep. like a couple of days after September sure. 11th. Two days. Okay. So, so it was still smoking. Yeah. Yeah. There were black yeah. clouds. And I remember uh, saying, oh. um, I I have to leave early tonight. I have to catch a flight to L.A. Unfortunately, I couldn't get a direct flight. We have to make a stop at the Empire State Building. <laughs> And they were booing and hissing. And I thought at that point, well, I've lost them as much as I could. And then I go into the aristocrats joke and they were screaming. They were howling. So it showed they... One right after the other? Yes. Wow, what a recovery. So And and it showed they, they needed to laugh at that point. Yep, yep. That's a great now. Now you know there's always rumors about stuff. How much flack did you really get? Because I think most of the comics were probably going so brilliant, so bold. You broke the ice away. I, I mean, what was really? Because I know deep down you're a sensitive, wonderful man. What was your What was your takeaway from it? Uh yeah, I I felt that the comics totally got me, and it was so different. Like. After the yeah. September 11 joke, I lost them as much as anyone could lose an audience. And yeah. then they came back, like, screaming and howling and pounding their chairs. Wow. I, oh, wow. I remember after I said the line, I uh, somebody yelled, too soon. And I thought it meant I didn't take a long enough pause between the setup and punchline. <laughs> Did you say that? <laughs> Oh, it's so great. <laughs> Speaking of roasts, I would direct people, and they're online, to the uh, the Joan Rivers roast with you two guys. And, and oh, Gilbert, Gilbert's bit about you being fucked by a leprechaun. Yeah, <laughs> so great. <laughs> you were so great. Which you is were Mario. so great on that. Turns yeah. out to be Mario Cantone. In the, yeah. in the, I, in oh, the that payoff. was funny. I remember she was wonderful. When Joan came up, she said, oh, Gilbert Gottfried, when I watch him, I want to drive to Malibu and blow Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, oh, you that's would... so great. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. You were talking about old timers helping each other. Yeah. You got you got a kind of a boost from an old timer from Jack Carter, early in your career, wow. and, sure and, then, and then indirectly Norm Crosby. That's right. Yeah, Jack Carter got me my first television uh, gig uh, on the Norm Crosby Comedy Shop, and boy, oh boy, it was uh, a horrendous few minutes. 
I just, uh, you know, did what I did. But he really gave me my first break, as, as did Norm. And, and um, yeah, yeah, he was very, uh, very supportive. He's a funny guy, Jack, too. You know, he was supposed to play uh, Kevin James' dad in King of Queens. He went right down to the wire for that. Really? Course, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, and of course it went to, to Stiller. But uh, he, was a, he was a good actor. He was a funny, funny guy and, you know, very intense. I mean, uh, you know, if he didn't like it, you'd know it, and that's okay. We had him booked here, and he went and died on us. Is that what happened? He yeah. agreed to do it, and it was yeah. something like two days later. Oh, man. He would have been fun. Oh, yeah. He would have been fun. He was one of You've those... had some amazing people on this show. How long have you done this for? Since 2014. Wow, that's yeah, unreal. It's been going good for o you. Over 300, including a lot of old-time comics like Pat yeah, Cooper and yeah. Larry Storch and, you oh, know, and Marty Allen. And Marty Allen. Oh, I love him. You know, we got whoever was, was still kicking. Sure, you know, sure. Because we we lost out on uh, on Jack. That was a that was a killer. Yeah. But you know, but you know, like you, we're fans of this stuff. We love this history. We love yeah. Vegas. We had Tony Sandler here, Sandler and Young. Really? And we just oh, he just regaled us with stories of old Vegas, Mabo wow. and Vegas. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. And yeah. how he was in Belgium when like the Nazis had taken over. Yeah, he had You're he kidding. had wild he had wild he stories. had Nazis who would use his house as an office. They take over people's houses, yeah, and and live in them and use it as their headquarters. They'd go into people's houses in Belgium and they'd say to them, "Just act normally, act like nothing is happening." Yeah, he had a fascinating life. I can't believe that, and he had no choice. What? They're the fucking no, Nazis. Not, I mean, Nazi. No, I mean, you can't say, ah, oh, you know, I got an Airbnb coming in. The Nazis. Nazi <laughs> occupied Belgium. That's, what about what about Jackie Vernon, another great old timer you worked with? Oh, I loved him. Uh, he, he he was great. I worked with Jackie Vernon, it had to be 35 years ago, one of my first improv gigs. And it was the one that Bud Friedman had in I want to say Palm Beach. It, it was one that didn't last long. And uh, I, I was a feature act. Jackie Vernon was closing. I mean, literally 35 years ago. And uh, I knew of him through my parents and everything. And he was still doing the things with the, the slides. And here's my wife yeah. at the park. Here's my wife. <laughs> funny, funny stuff. And I remember we both loved watches. And we both had fake watches on. I had a, a fake paddock on, and he had a fake Rolex. And, and he goes, but you can't tell, right? You really can't tell. I go, you can't. He goes, look close. What does it say? I said, it says Bolex. He goes, yeah, Bolex, but you can't tell. So he says, he says I got a guy in Miami who sells fake watches. And the guy came down. And he had fake watches, $25 each, and we bought fake watches. And um, it was a rough, rough week, and he really wasn't drawing, and I had no draw back then. And uh, we, when it came time to get paid, we go to the back of the room, and a guy who we hadn't seen all week, kind of... Uh, you know, an intimidating guy, very well dressed. He was like, uh, we're not going to be able to pay you, you know? And I was like, oh, the hell you're not, you know? And Jackie 
grabs my arm like, you fucking stupid, <laughs> I won't use the word, but just relax. I, I go, whoa, whoa, what do you mean? How do you, yeah, you guys didn't do well. So I run out, I call Bud, you know, on the payphone. And Bud's like, what's the problem? What happened? <laughs> and I said, I said, well, you know, they're not paying us. Is he in a blue suit? I said, yeah, he's in a, the guy's wearing a blue suit. Get out of there as fast as you can, and I'll handle it when you get back to California. It's <laughs> a great and it was like It was owned by a couple shady guys that were having a problem with, uh, wow. you know, uh, running the room. And, and, of course, Bud, Bud was good for it, and he took care of me and Jackie. But... Uh, those those are the fun days. You know? Here's a treat for you, uh, Brad. Yeah. Gil, give, give him a little bit of Jackie. Here's some slides from my vacation. <laughs> Here, here's Manuel leading us around the quicksand. Here we are from the waist up. Here's a bunch of ropes and picks and things. <laughs> Did you? I'm hoping. I'm sure you did that for him, right? I never met it. him. I wish I had. Oh, he wasn't. Uh, oh, he he passed a while ago, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. About, about oh, he would have loved it. Yeah. He did you? Did, did Fred Gwynn ever hear your impression of him? No. 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 Too bad. Oh, Too bad. Blast. I mean, these these impressions honor these people. You know. Yeah. It, yeah. I used to love them. I used to love them. Now it's like uh, you know. When I'm dying, I'll pull one out. I, you know how it is. I remember uh, Jackie Vernon was one of those impressions I do when I'd entertain myself. And <laughs> yeah, one of right. the bits I do where the audience would scratch their heads was yeah. Jackie Vernon and Death Wish. Well, <laughs> I mean, if the police don't defend us, maybe we ought to do it ourselves. <laughs> Never heard it's that great. One. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Oh, he's got such a great voice. Uh, you know, you, those gigs you used to do at Caroline's, Gil, where people would come expecting the Gilbert Gottfried that they heard on the Howard Stern show, and they'd get 10 minutes of material about Jackie Vernon and Corbett Monica. Oh, God. Corbett Monica. And completely befuddled. Corbett Monica. You could watch these audiences, Brad. Just sit there and, and I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about. Oh As Gilbert would go on and on to amuse himself. Right, right. Oh, it's the best. But you love this Vegas history like we do. I do. What I, about I Charo? You opened for Charo. I opened for Charo. That was my first opening gig. And uh, she was uh, she was hot. She was hot. She was fun. Um, and, boy, you know, it blew my mind. And, and I don't know if John Murray knows this. But she could play a guitar oh, yeah. like you couldn't believe. I mean, like a flamenco-style guitar. She was unbelievable. Yeah, she studied with great guitar players, as, yeah, a, as, she as, did. I, as she I, did. I remember. I remember yeah. I used to run into her when I was doing Hollywood Squares. Yeah. They had her on. Yep. She was hysterical. Those were fun in those days when... Uh, Henry Winkler was a producer and Whoopi was the center, right? Yeah, I. it was so funny because I grew up watching Hollywood Squares thinking, oh, you know, it's fun, yeah. but it's the bottom of someone's career. And, right. and then when I started doing it, I thought, this is fun. I it, loved it. Was it was fun. And it, yeah, and people, you know, that never knew the show got to see the show and it was fun. 
They should bring back an R-rated version for yeah. like cable. <laughs> oh, that's screaming. a great idea. That's a great idea. You know, and just do it, do it like that. Whoopi told me she was trying to recreate that period. She was trying to recreate the 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 the, the days that you miss, Gilbert, the, the, that you reminisce yes. about, where people smoked cigarettes and drank on the air. Yes, old show, that's old right. showbiz. <laughs> which which reminds me, this is a great segue because one of those Please. guys that would have a cigarette in one hand and a drink in the other was Jackie Gleason. Uh, when he did yeah. the magazine show from uh, so Miami. Great. And yeah. now you you did you a terrific job as, really a, great. as an eight, eight foot Jackie Gleason. <laughs> yeah, well you know what Ray used, after Ray saw it, we went to the premiere and he said, uh, well, you just did it. Jackie, the NBA years. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy because, you know, Jackie was like 5'10". Yeah. And they had to build up the furniture. They had to make things look larger. They had to, you know, increase the doorway in the old set. We had an amazing director, Howie Deutsch directed it. And the people in the cast had to wear boots and lifts so I didn't tower over them. Because the other thing, it was unbelievable. It looks like when they would come back wide and show everyone's feet is a joke. It looks like we were all leaving a KISS concert. You know, we had like these huge boots everyone wore that had the laces. But I knew how bombastic that Gleason and how brilliant he was. When he would go off on Alice, you knew he would never hurt her. You knew he was just a big baby having a tantrum. And that was his brilliance. And I knew that if I towered over her, I would become a bully. And it, it would look intimidating as opposed to vulnerable. So when I sat down with them, I was like, how can you help me set design-wise? Because they didn't want me to, to, to do Gleason. They, um, it, it was a CBS biopic back in the day when they used to do movie of the weeks. And, and they went out to everybody. And I was on Raymond at the time. And I said, you know, I'd love to, I, I called Les Moonves because they wouldn't let me audition. And I called him up and I said, uh, Mr. Moonves, I'm, uh, my name is Brad Garrett, I'm on Raymond. It's like, our, you know, Raymond was still, still. we were like in the middle of where we were. And I said, I'd, I'd love to be able to read, you know, for the Gleason movie that you guys are doing. And he said, uh, well, who do you want to play? And I said, well, I, I, was, I was hoping I could uh, read for Trixie. <laughs> and uh, I thought he was joking, right? And it's, again, dead silence. And he goes, well, you know, we're out to John Goodman or Oliver Platt to play to play Gleason. And I said, well, they're brilliant, and thanks for taking my call. So those guys turned it down. And then it went to Mark Addy, who was uh, sure. a, a, a funny comedian. He was British, but he really had the look, and he had the, the big blue eyes, and he was kind of a bigger guy, and the right height and, but he was British and he had trouble losing the accent. And they called me at the, they had no one at the last minute. And they said, get to Montreal if you want to do this. And, uh, you know, you shoot in two days. So the script was, you know, you can only do so much on a network, you know, as opposed to, I always said, God, if it was only on cable or something where we can get away with more. But what the script was, it was really just um, a send up to the honeymooners it was it was more of an impression of Gleason than really what he went through. So I, I hired a buddy of mine who's a great writer named uh, uh, 
Dave Boone. And I said, you know, ah, we yes. got four. Yeah, yeah he, was, got, he was a writer yeah. on Hollywood yeah, Square. We all, we all yeah, know Dave. Yeah, I love Dave. And, and he loves that old, yeah, he loves that old time of, you know, that old that old Hollywood and that old Vegas thing too. And I said, you know, it's reading like uh, a characterization as opposed to, you know, this guy was, he was brilliant, but he was a womanizer and he was an alcoholic and he had a lot of demons and we're not seeing any of this. And- they were so under the gun and behind schedule, they weren't looking at the dailies as much as we were worried they would. So we just shot most of the stuff the way we wanted to and went off script as much as we could while staying within, you know, practice and standards, of course. So it it, it became um, a little bit of an anomaly as far as a, a movie, you know, for the network. And, and um, the people have been very kind about it. I really loved it. I mean, I... I had the time of my life. It was someone I, I, I dreamed of playing and, and you know, didn't think I'd be able to. But, but in, in, tr- in true Gleason style. I, got lucky. I was going to yeah. say, in true, in true Gleason style, you threw the script out the window. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And what's interesting there, too, is like Gleason, now what people get embarrassed about, and when they did the long awaited Cedric the Entertainer honeymooners, they yeah. didn't use the line at all. And that was him going, you know, bang to the moon, Alice. Yeah. And, yeah. and the funny thing is, when you watch The Honeymooners, what people miss the point. It's like he would threaten her, but you knew Alice had the upper hand. Exactly. He had the upper hand, and every scheme that he ever came up with was to better her life. And that was the key. Everything he tried, everything he went after, even when she said, it's not going to work, Jackie. And he would go, it's going to work! <laughs> you know, and whatever, whatever he would, it was all to give her that bigger apartment, that mink coat, that new car. So he was brilliant in being able to play that. And the writers, the writers were amazing. I talked to the only living writer. I shot this in 2000. Can't believe it's that long ago, but there was only one living honeymooner uh, writer. And uh, I go, what was it like? He said, I wish I had a dollar for every time I got hit in the face with the script. And I go, really? He goes, we were not treated well, but no one could make our words sing like that man. He said, and to this day, you know, I think about how lucky I was, but your average joke, he would turn into gold. He just had that. So he said it was kind of worth taking it because no one wanted to work for anybody else in 1952 because he was the king. There are are stories, of course, we've talked about them on this show, Gilbert, of him throwing writers' paychecks in the swimming pool. You've heard these stories. Swim swim for the checks. Uh, You know, it was funny. I wanted to just interview his daughters and his wife, who was alive at the time, his last wife. And uh, they would have nothing to do with uh, uh, the filming. They they didn't want, you know, they, they did not want to be involved. And it really hurt my feelings because I was like, gosh, I want to I want to give it some credit. I want to do it right. Can you, you know, let's talk about the good stuff. And they were like, no, there's nothing to discuss. And then after it came out, the, they came. Uh, she came to visit me, the wife. And and, and we had a, a quick little hello and a sit down and. It was really, really wonderful. But you could tell there was a lot of pain there. You know, I, I, of I think there's pain and, you know, God knows we all got pain, right? I heard a story, like, with his composer 
Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, Sammy Spear. Sammy Spear. Yeah. And uh, very good, Frank. Wow. I I think he one time said to him, ah, "Sammy, go work on the music. It's never been any good." I could hear that. Yeah. Well, you know, he was such an incredible composer, Gleason. Yeah. I, I was listening to one of his albums that somebody gave me just the other day, and these orchestrations, he that was his thing. He wanted to be a musician. And he has a few albums out, you know, that are like candlelight music and cheesy and fun, you know, but you listen to him and you go, wow, this is this is some music. So he really, uh, you it's know. a guy with a lot of talents and a very good dramatic actor. Really good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. We've talked I about mean, Soldier in the Rain. And, and The oh, Hustler. And, of course, The Hustler. And, oh, The Hustler. And, so and, brilliant. Uh, and know. I loved what he did. You know, the last thing he did with Tom Hanks to me. Oh, with yeah. Nothing Marshall in Marshall Common. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. A, what, a, what a genius. Yeah. You talked to Don Rio, who wrote for him. Did he Did he tell you the stories of, of uh, when Don when Don was running uh, to, Till Death? We had him he, here. Really? He, he never wrote, talked he, about it. He wrote for the, you should talk to him. He wrote for the Miami show. He wrote for the, he wrote I, for I spent a year with Don. I had no idea. No, I'm staying corrected. It wasn't the Miami show. It was those specials that they brought back in the 70s where they brought okay. the honeymooners back. Yeah. When yeah, they were okay. re really sweet. And Gleason yeah. made, Gleason made uh, Don and his writing partner sit in a, sit in a men's room. He's got stories. He was seriously. Amusing. Did he, he really? Was, yeah, he was abusing <laughs> writers till the. He gave them a. He gave them a, a little love seat and a TV monitor that was in a men's room. I he, can't believe that he was abusing writers to the end. God, you think he would know? There's nothing more important. He's a guy with a very, an unhappy life. I mean, in many ways, yeah. and certainly yeah. an unhappy Haunted. childhood. Haunted. And Gleason you know. is another case. Of uh, there's been there was Gleason, Gene Wilder, and Jan Murray that I all heard stories about. Their mothers died when they were young, and uh -huh. they would go home. They'd see a movie or whatever, and they'd go home, act it out, and entertain their mothers. That was their first audience. Yep, yep. I used to do that, but uh, my mom would walk out. <laughs> I would do my jokes and she'd say, I saw it with the original cast. <laughs> you you and Dave captured a lot of things accurately in the movie, though the, the yeah. part where his father Thank removed you. himself from the family photo albums. Yeah. Was yeah. was fa was factual. That was yeah. I mean there were yeah. there were there were traumatic things Scary in his life shit. that made him the way and you really yeah. got the you got the Brooklyn accent down so well you know I worked with a great vocal coach named Larry Moss at the time and uh you know everyone thinks I'm from the east but I was born and raised in Los Angeles so but my dad was from the Bronx and I felt well that's easy to do and and uh I, I met with the dialogue coach and and he knew he was a huge Gleason fan and I did a few lines from the script and he goes no no that's the Bronx and I was like it's New York. He goes, no, 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 it's not. He's from Brooklyn. And I had to relearn all the vowels and all the things all over again. And it was really, it was really exciting. I never poured myself into so much research. The good thing about it, because Gleason was on CBS, is I was allowed into all of the archives. Oh. I was able to see things that no one saw. Outtakes they didn't want anyone to see. Interviews it didn't go well. You know, and my favorite one that everyone saw was the 60 minute interview when he was, you know, 
long in the tooth and in his 70s and ill. And that's how we opened the movie. We yeah, did it with his last interview. Right. And that was one of my favorite parts and uh, being able to portray him. And there's a there's a great story that I found in my uh, in doing research for this and and going back and watching the uh, the Jackie movie, which is very good. You got nominated for an Emmy, by the Thank way. You. We Thank should you. point out your performance is wonderful. Paul Thank Lind you. was getting an Entertainer of the Year award at the Emmys. Do you know this story? No. Jackie was hosting the show, and Paul Lind was presented with the Entertainer of the Year award, and he said, "I can't take this award. I'm standing next to the funniest man in history," and he handed the award to Jackie. Is that right? True story. And Gleason never saw it coming. Yeah. Did Gleason take it? I don't know. I don't know. I have to yeah. do a little deeper research. But how about that? Wow, that's amazing. Oh, I love Paul Lind. Yeah, he he's come, he's come up here a few times. Yeah, has he really? Yeah, no, he's Paul as Lind. a subject. Paul Lind. <laughs> he he's still around. He, no, he's come no, up no, as a topic. Oh, oh, he's come up as a top. Excuse me, I was going to yeah. say. I thought he died. Yeah, yeah. Of, yeah he yeah, came yeah. on. He was a hundred and twelve. But he looked right. He looked right. He came over Jackie Vernon. Yeah. yeah. I really need to but do my homework. Paul Lynn was yeah. famous for being he a a major Jew hater. Yeah. Oh, very anti-Semitic. Yeah. That's been yeah. confirmed. And yeah. Yeah. I, one of the producers. <laughs> Oh, One of the producers on the yeah. Hollywood, the new Hollywood Squares that both of yeah. us were on, what yeah. also worked on the original Hollywood Squares. Jay Reddick. Yes, Jay yes. Reddick. And yes. I was talking yes. to him. He said, like during lunch at Hollywood Squares, all the yeah. other performers they had dined together and tell right. stories and laugh. Paul Lynn would get bombed out of his skull, get really yeah. angry, and go, yeah. oh, those fucking Jews. <laughs> They're the reason I don't have a career. <laughs> <laughs> the Jews held me down. Yeah. Right. That's a good Paul Lynn. That's Lind. the best. <laughs> Good Paul Lind. It's that a good you. Paul Lind. Uh, we got to get Jay Reddick here. Gil, if you ever want a hacky act, I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing quite well on my own with that. Oh, <laughs> you're still one of the most brilliant, man. You always have been. Thank you. We, we, you always have been. Thank we, you. We've, we've speculated about what, what Jackie thought of Carson, uh, basically kind of lifting Reggie yeah. to, do, to do Art Fern. Yeah, he it had to hate it. It wasn't subtle. No, it wasn't. It was a lift. Yeah. Yeah, and, for sure. But uh, yeah, it's true. And, he probably didn't care. And the the other one was the lift from uh, Jonathan Winters. Yeah, Marty Frickett. Yeah. 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 How did you well, find Johnny personally, Brad? You did you did three shows with him. Well, uh, you know, always very gracious, always, always nice. I I you know, I was probably a fill in, you know, the fourth, fifth call. To be honest, he would come by and say hi before you go on. Always, always a gentleman, you know, um, but I, I didn't have that that in like a lot of the boys, you know. Yeah. But but as long as we're talking about the Carson show, do te do sure. tell us the Cosby story, because it's so much fun. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> Unless you don't want to. No, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't mind at all. I was I was working in uh, in, in Vegas. <laughs> Uh, doing my first Vegas gig. I was opening for Crystal Gale, uh, the country singer, sweet, sweet lady, kind. And uh, I get a call 
I'm in my little room at the Desert Inn, and uh, uh, and he goes, "Hey, Brad, how you doing, man?" <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I had impressionist friends, and I really thought someone was fucking with me, you know. And I went, "Hey, what's going on?" He goes, "Listen, I got a question. Uh, I'm gonna be guest hosting the Tonight Show tonight, <laughs> and there's a comic that that's not doing it." And your name came up, and I thought you could do it. And I said, I said, well, I'm, I'm opening for Crystal. No, I'm at the Hilton. I'm going. To, I'm at the. Hilton. We're going to fly. Johnny is sending his jet, <laughs> and Johnny's jet is going to pick us up, and you will be back by seven thirty. So. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. I'm definitely not on anyone's radar. I had just done Star Search and maybe, you know, he felt I was safe and, you know, wasn't. So I get on, a, they pick me up. I get in the limo. Next to me is Cosby. He's reading USA Today and he's on the front page. And I'm going, uh, thank you for this opportunity. No problem. He doesn't say anything. It's a short walk, a uh, short drive to the airport. We get on. It was Carson's jet had the JC on the tail. Wow! I can't believe any of this. And I'm on all I'm thinking of. How many people could have said no or were unavailable before I got this? Because you know I'm being realistic. What am I? So I get on the. He opens up, and this is when the Cosby Show was number one. He opens up another paper. I think it was all. The L.A. Times, he's on the front of the calendar. And I'm like, I'm sure I'm frozen. I, I'm not, I don't know what to say. I've never been on a Learjet. And there's a bowl of fruit right in front of us. And he goes, have a kiwi. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I said, thank you. I'm, I'm good. I said, I, uh, I had an apple on the train. <laughs> okay. He didn't, he didn't get it. Uh, he didn't get it. And I'm like, great, I'm fucking bombing before I'm... So we're about to land. And he goes, hey, I heard that you do an impression of me. And I said, yes, yes, I do. Actually, I thought it would be fun. My set, I'm closing with it tonight in my set on the show. And he goes, don't do that. <laughs> and I have my set. Which is, you know, it's not a, it's, it's not a barn burner. I have my set figured out. And I figured, you know, I'm doing the, you know, what's in the McNugget. Every happy fucking line. But I'm saying to myself, I'll, if I close with Cosby and he's sitting right there, how can you hack out better than that? And, and so when he said, don't do it, I went, <laughs> why? And he went, well, because you don't need to be yourself. And I said, well, my, I'm doing four impressions. And he looked at me, he goes, okay, do three. And I was like, oh, my God, how do you not do Cosby? When I, went, I go out there, I start to do my set. Um, it's not great. It's going over. It's the whole thing. Um, I, as I'm getting closer to my five and a half minutes, I can tell I'm not going to end strong. So... I go into Cosby and I said, and the audience erupts. Oh my God, this giant Jew is doing Bill Cosby. They're thinking. And I look over at the desk and he's looking down, writing something. 
on a piece of, and I, and I know he's not happy and he didn't have me over, you know, I didn't come over to sit and it wasn't strong enough of a set anyway, to be honest. Now I have to fly back with him on the jet. Wow. I get to the airport. We get on Johnny's jet. Not a word. Not a word. And I'm I'm dying inside. I'm like, oh, my God. It wasn't a great set. But now I pissed off the biggest comedian in fucking history. And I'll never forget, not a word on the plane. You know, it was only a 40-minute flight on a Lear, but it's a long 40. And I'm, and uh, we're about to land. And I go, ah, what the hell? I'll try the kiwi. (laughs) I grab the fruit and he gets off and I put my hand out and I go, thank you. And he goes, yeah, right. And just shook. And I mean, went away. And then I didn't see him till 10 years later at a, at a CBS party. Wow. Just jagged right by me. But, um, but out of desperation, you know, you're of thinking course. to yourself, what do I do? I piss him off on live television or do I get out with a strong six? <laughs> so, <laughs> I took the six. You made the right choice. You think? <laughs> Why Gil- leave with a three when you could get a six? Right? Gil- Gilbert, tell Brad what you uh, what you found out about Bill when you did the show and why what, what explained his occasional absences. Uh, very, very weird. I was talking to two of the writers, and they had they said in his schedule, it was printed very neatly in his schedule. There would be an hour set aside to teach comedy to Asian models. <laughs> Is this for real? That's what they told me. They were dead oh serious. Isn't that gold? See, that's yeah. why you see yeah. so many funny Asian models nowadays. Sure, sure. I mean, it's just a model or an Asian alone. <laughs> Would be would be a long course. It's a long, but you put them together, and it's uh, no. No, this is what you do when you hold the top ramen. Don't eat it. Sip it. Just sip it, and then I'm gonna put this in the top ramen. Gosh, it's the best impression of old Cosby that I've heard. Yeah, of, old, of old, yes, pre pre raping. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant I meant like sixty and older Cosby. Oh, oh thank you. Yeah, thank all, you. Wow, all the yeah. Cosby that... impressions you hear are like young, young Cosby. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm old. That's probably why. <laughs> That's why I saw Lucy Liu on stage, and she was going, "Hey, the girl." Oh, she's funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she does work. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We're, we're going to send this episode to Bill in the joint. <laughs> Three years. I, I told you. Quiet. Can, Thanks for having me. I can, do can, appreciate it. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Can I ask you a couple of questions from sure. listeners, Brad? Sure. This is from uh, Lex Passeris, who's a friend of ours, who's a director, a retired director in L.A. He's to direct Golden Girl and such. Uh, nice. does, does Brad, by chance, remember what he gave out as crew gifts 
for the pilot of his short-lived Nebraska set series, First Impressions. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting, because we had Terry Hughes directed that pilot, and he was the big director on Golden Girls, one of the nicest guys to this day that I ever worked with. And it was my first show, and I wasn't very good, and he really helped me. I don't remember what was the crew gift. All I could think of is probably uh, an apology note. (laughs) 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 Yeah. First of all, they took me, they saw me do stand-up, and they said, we're going to write a show around you. You're a guy in Nebraska. <laughs> I swear to God. I, I, I swear to God. I, I said, I said, let me guess. I run a I run a, a temple in Nebraska <laughs> and there's a cross burning. And I try to figure uh I, I said, why don't you make me from Miami or from Brooklyn? No, the show was written about a guy in Nebraska. I said, they dyed my hair, they put me in a plaid shirt and penny loafers. I, I, I looked like Ellen DeGeneres. I, I mean, it, was, it, was, it was unbelievable. I, I, I said, but why? But they go, can you lose the New York vibe? I said, yeah. I said, yeah. And I literally, they gave me a daughter who was blonde and blue-eyed. So it looked like, uh, you know, I, I kidnapped her. I kidnapped her, brought her home to live with me. None of it made sense. I should have just put Skip Stevenson in it. Skip, it, it it's funny. <laughs> Kip would have been great. Yeah. Kip Adonna. Somebody who looks uh, like somebody who yeah. looks like that. Uh, what were the what were the gifts? Uh God, I can't. Oh, I'll afraid. have to call and ask him. He he was oh. he, he was obviously the he was obviously there or he was a member it of the It could crew. have been penguin pajamas. Okay. Uh, I, I, I had a penguin thing back then. Quick one from Luke Simon. I had the pleasure of seeing Brad in the odd couple with Bro- with Matthew Broderick uh, and Nathan Lane. Any fond uh, memories? An incredible. Well, first of all, to share a stage with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, the, the 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 toasts of Broadway was pretty pretty amazing. I learned a lot from Nathan Lane. Uh, he's he's become a, a wonderful friend. Well, I consider him a friend. You know, every time I call, he's like, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> but, um, and uh, I, I just, you know, stage is a different thing. But I think for a comic to do a play, especially on Broadway, there's nothing more exciting because you have that live audience every night. And boy, talk about nights that the same joke will land and the same joke will die the next, like in our stand-up. Um, I think it's a closest gift for uh, for a stand-up if you can cross that bridge and, and, and do something in, in stage because it's a... Uh, the biggest high, but I had a ball. You were Murray the Cop? I was Murray the Cop, and I, I, I was the understudy for Nathan. And I go three months, and he was never sick because Nathan never got sick. And uh, I got on a plane. I'm on my way home. I land. They go, Nathan has laryngitis. Can you come back for two shows? I get on a plane, and I played Oscar uh, for a couple nights. Wow. And, and, and uh and literally shit myself because, you know, you're not practicing that role. You'll rehearse it once a week when you're a stand-in. But it was such an amazing role. And to follow in Nathan's uh, footsteps is nothing you really dream about when he's been doing it three months before. But it turned out okay. I had a ball. That's a show that's very near and dear to Gilbert's heart and mine. We, we, would, have, we would have loved to see you in that. Oh, uh, thank you. you Gilbert, you, you would be an incredible Felix. Have you ever thought of that? Oh, no. How about no? that? Bill? Yeah. Oh, Thank- gosh. Amazing. Thank you. Amazing. 
You get you get a Jackie Vern in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would. They could cast Gilbert as Vinny. That would be a great Vinny. Oh, yeah. he'd be a great Vinny. Yeah. 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 Such yeah. a good show. It's amazing the writing, how it still it still stands up. I mean, it's older jokes, but they're they're all so good. You know, there and there's so many. He was such a writer, Neil Simon. Incredible. You know, the TV series is 50 years old this year. No. Yeah. And we're wait. The other 1970, thing, right? Yes, sir. The other I love thing that, that drives oh, me too. crazy, and Frank and I have discussed this, and that's that both the movie and TV series, nobody is alive from it. Yeah. Well, you got to go so, deep. There's one, I think there's one pigeon sister. <laughs> I think I think one pigeon sister is alive, and uh, if you want to go, as I said, a couple episodes to uh, Eleanor Donahue, who played Felix's girlfriend Miriam. Okay, she's around, yeah, but not, funny, answer, not taking the, our calls. Yeah, the, fir the first celebrity I ever met was Jack Klugman, and oh. I went to summer Ooh. camp with I went to summer camp with his son, and he was living at the Outrigger Apartments in Malibu. And one day, I didn't know who his, who his dad was. He goes, hey, you want to go to the beach? And Because, you know, we didn't do sleepover camp because, you know, Jews raised in L.A., there's no sleeping over. You can't sleep. That's how you, you know, you go to sleepover camp. Uh, next thing you know, you're in a musical. So, so he said to me, he goes, hey, you want to go to the beach? And, and we, we can go to my dad's apartment. I walk in there and, you know, I was 11. So the odd couple was on. 71, right? It was yeah, the same day. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. walk in there and there's Jack Klugman in front of the TV wow. yelling uh, during a horse race. He was sweating out uh, a horse race from Santa Anita. He had it on closed circuit. And I just, man, I never forgot it. How so about Mr. That? Klugman. He goes, how you doing? How you doing? Good to meet you. Good to meet you. <laughs> you know, it was like one of those things. And, it, and I was just like, wow. Adam Klugman, right? How did you know that? Yeah, well, that's well, you know. Do you know him? I don't know him, but I wonder what happened to him. He's around. You know. Adam Klugman. Yeah, he's a, he had he's two a, sons and a younger one. Yeah. He's wow. Around. We're, this we're, Frank. This Frank. Where'd you get Frank? Gil? This guy's gold. <laughs> Where'd you get this guy? God bless this, you, man. We're we're tr we're trying to get uh, Chris Lemon and uh, and Charlie Mathau to come on here. And talk about oh. their and talk about their dads. Won't that be a wonderful episode? Oh, would that be amazing? Yeah, we're almost close to clo to closing that oh, up. Oh, would that be incredible? But let's talk to you about a couple of dramatic roles. And I I have to say, uh, your range and the work that you did in Fargo oh, as you. as a, as the mobster. Joe, am I getting the name right? Joe Bula. Yeah, Joe Bula. Yeah. Joe Bula. You yeah, were absolutely thanks. terrifying, and it's it's hard Thank for somebody you. who is as recognizable as you and as known as you are, uh, and, and is known for being a comedian as you are, to disappear yeah. into a role like that. And and to me, you Thank disappeared you. into it instantly. I, I find, I love drama. Well, well to be candid, it, it started really, uh, people would come see my act, and they would go, try drama. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, that's only a half joke. I once had a casting director say that to me. They came to see my act when I was like starting out. She goes, you know, you're like a big intimidate. Try drama. And it was after it was after she saw my set at the ice house. And um, yeah, that's when I started drinking heavily for about 20 years. It was after that meeting. Um, 
You were so I, I good. Love, I love drama. I, 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 I love it, you know. You, you had ice water in your veins, that, that, that character. Just ter terror, I mean, I know you a little bit, and I still was frightened by, ah. by, 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 this, by this portrayal. And you, you. you did not do, you famously said that you did not do your own stunts. It was really, you know, again, I'm so uncoordinated and I didn't have many stunts to do. So uncoordinated to the point where they, they were like, uh, the director said, they said, uh, uh, can you run like for any amount of distance? And I went, you know, I got a bad back and I've never, I've never been a great runner. And they said, okay, all right, well, uh, we're, we're shooting in the snow tomorrow and I need you to run. And I was like, well, how far? You know, and they said, I, I, I don't know. And the guy goes, a quarter mile. I don't know. I went, a quarter mile? He says, well, we're shooting it on a crane. So as you're running in the snow, the camera comes up and that's how the epic. And I said, I, I said, first of all, I, I got a, uh, I got a bunion. This is what I say to this guy. He goes, you have a what? I said, I got a bunion. He goes, he goes, my grandmother had one of those. I said, there you go. What kind of a runner was she? And so he says, well, you know, we'll make it work. This is Hollywood. He says, we'll make it work. The next day I'm supposed to run with a rifle. He says, we're going to follow you in a drone because the crane never showed up because it couldn't get through the snow. I said, no problem. I didn't know from a drone. It was a few years ago. He says, so the drone is going to follow you as you're running. So he goes, start as fast as you can. And when you're winded, just walk. I run about 12 feet and I can't feel my left arm. I think, I'm thinking I'm having a fucking heart attack. So I start to walk fast. He goes, cut. He goes, the drone was in front of you. I go, well, slow the drone down. He goes, the drone, we have it on the slowest speed. You, you have to be able, he goes, are you running as fast as you can? I said, I swear to you. He goes, did you ever play ball? I said, no, I never played. I said, if I played ball, would I be running in the snow in Fargo? I, I never played ball. They had to hire a stuntman uh, to jog. Hilarious. Yeah. Oh, the stuntman comes off the plane. He looks at me and goes, I'll tell you, I've been a stuntman for 31 years. Last week, I was jumping out of a plane. The other day, I went through a window. Thanks to you, I only got a jog. So... <laughs> I am, I am yeah. going to tell our listeners to watch all, all yeah. three seasons of Fargo, but you're in season two. And no, season Noah, Noah Hawley is, is pretty brilliant. He is the as show, brilliant as they get as a writer-director. He's brilliant. And, they, and, and when you and, saw season one, you said to yourself, this guy is going to be... How's he going to top that? Yeah. He, he, he's amazing. And, and, and hiring comedians in, in dramatic roles, like Chris yeah. Rock is in the new season. I and, can't and, wait to see it. And yeah. you and... You and, uh, and he gave uh, me a shot. He yeah. gave me a shot. I mean, I had to read for it. My agent got me in there, and he was open-minded. You know, it's like, uh, well, I, I know him from Raymond, but I, he was open-minded, and Noah gave me a shot, and uh, I'm grateful for that. You were you were really terrific. Thank and you. and speaking of running, and our, our listeners know where I'm going with this one, Gil. Yeah. Oh God. I'm gonna make you tell Brad. The David uh, when, Steinberg? When, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I, I want to see Brad's face as he reacts to it. I, I was doing a show that was directed by David Steinberg. I think it was mad about you. <clears throat> yes, yes. Yeah. He he directed me in an episode of that. There you go. Yes. And, and there was one scene 
where I had to say a line and then run off stage. So I say the line <laughs> and I run off stage. And David very uncomfortably says, um, Gilbert, can you run a little faster? And I said, you want me to run faster? And he goes, no, 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 not really faster, but a little more gracefully. And, and I said, gracefully? And he goes, yeah, not so choppy. And then he, he finally puts his head down and sighs and goes, can you run less Jewish? <laughs> so great. I never get he tired of him. He is one of my favorites. <laughs> yes. yeah, I he's, love him. He's a gem. We had him here. He is. Oh, he is a gem. You have answered a million questions about Raymond, yeah. and we won't ask you. We won't ask. We've had Phil here twice. Oh, he's so amazing. By the way, and we, we love him. Such and, a talent. Uh, uh, we, we just we want to ask you, uh, just, just say a couple of words about the late, great Peter Boyle and the late, great <sighs> Fred Willard. Yeah. The, these, you know, uh, I'll never forget when I got the job. Uh, to, for Raymond and knowing that, that Peter Boyle was going to play our dad and what fans we were. My dad took me to see, my my own father took me to see young Frankenstein when I was 12. Wow. And I never saw my dad laugh harder in his life. And nice. I, that memory never left me, the joy he had from Mel Brooks and Blazing Saddles and, you know, all that great stuff. So when we knew Peter Boyle was aboard, we were so excited. And Ray looks at me. He goes, you know, some things are meant to be. <laughs> and I said, I said, uh, okay, okay, it's all right. Thank you, Ray. Really he goes, no, you don't get it. He said, your father is young Frankenstein and you look like Frankenstein. <laughs> so, that was the beginning of our relationship. But Peter was, Peter, you know, Peter couldn't have been anything further, obviously, from his character. Sure. So incredibly uh, politically involved, very, very bright, smart. John you know, Lennon's uh, best friend. John, John Lennon's best friend, yeah. who was his best man at his wedding. And um, did Peter talk about the flatulence? Uh, I mean, did Phil talk about? <laughs> no, he probably wouldn't. No, no you <laughs> but, about the flatulence please, problem with Pete, with Peter. Please tell us. Okay, uh, it, it, it's a little long winded, but you'll fix it in post, um, so to speak. So, it, it, exactly, but um, you know, early in year one, you know, because the show was the whole family was always on the set most of the time together. That's what the show was. About episode 10 or 11, we all notice in our own way that there's this, someone's letting it go on the set, okay? And when this, when this happens mysteriously, they always think it's the big person, you know? Because they, they you know, my whole life, if someone farts at a party, I get the stink eye. Because they always figure, you know, it's the bigger guy. He probably has, he's the same size colon we do. I'm sure he can't control it since he's a fucking circus boy, right? So this is going on. And I have, I have an olfactory issue. I have a thing with smells. I don't do well. I don't do, and, and I have a thing. I over cologne. 
I, I overwash, Ray is a germaphobe, so he's always with the Perel. By about episode 12, we're, we're in a camera blocking day, and it smells like something has died behind the fucking set. It feels like it's died, it was resurrected, and it came back to die again. It's beyond... So Ray and I, he looks at me, and he goes... Is it you? <laughs> Just like that. I've known him for 12 weeks. And I said, I said, let me be honest with you. If it was me, I would have taken my own life 10 fucking years ago. I go, it's not you, right? He goes, no. You think it's Doris? And I go, oh, I, go I oh, don't no. know. He goes, no. I don't know if it's Patty. She's a Republican. She's probably, he goes, she's probably not allowed to fart. And we're, and we're talking it out, and I go, he goes, uh, it's no way it's, it's no way it's the little girl, right? I mean, there's no way she could pack that kind of a punch. I said, there's no way. He says, all right, well, he says, all I can tell you is this. I, I'm literally forgetting my lines. It's that strong. Cut to the next night. We're filming in front of an audience. The family is off the set, but we're huddled together because we can't be in the sight of the kitchen door. It's a scene where the whole family is mid-argument and we all walk in. Camera A breaks down. The director says, we're on a bit of a hold. We have to fix the camera. Me, Doris, Patty, Peter, huddled in like this and... Here it comes. And it's, we don't, we don't hear it. You never hear it. And it's, we're this close to each other and it's brutal. And Doris's makeup is running and Ray's giant fucking Cecilia nose is getting all the air that's available in this. And I'm looking down at my shoes and out of nowhere, Peter Boyle goes, Sorry. He goes, he goes, he goes, but I gotta be honest, I got two more coming. <laughs> and Ray and Ray goes, How bad is your problem? He says, if how bad is your ass problem that you know you have two in the chamber? I'll never forget it. And we were left. Now, you would think, you would think, okay, good. It's year one. It's going to, it's, the cat's out of the bag. It's going to stop. It didn't stop. It didn't stop. Now he was, we knew who it was. And we just, you know, and he goes, and, and Peter goes, um, it's been an issue. It's been an issue for a long time. Yeah. So that was the oh. Peter Boyle thing. I'm I'm weeping. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Wow. But he was a prince. He was a prince. A smelly prince, <laughs> but a prince. I think Phil did tell us that he turned down the Popeye Doyle role in, he in, sure in did. French Connection. Which yeah, would... you didn't want to. You didn't want to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah, it was right after he did the movie Joe. Right. At Little Independent, and he was on a huge role. And. Um, a part Gleason yeah. was considered for, by the way. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, the freaking. God, you know your history. And Man. I know we that, just yeah. have, we've talked about it. Was on this Sinatra show. Yeah. also? I believe so. Yeah. 
Well, he was playing. He was too. playing those those parts at that point. Yeah. Tony, Tony Rome. Yeah. Was, that, was that after the Manchurian Candidate or before? Uh, well, French Connection would be seventy one, and the Manchurian Candidate was in the sixties. So okay. At, so, at, yeah. so yeah. Yeah. So after, and just tell us a couple of words uh, about uh, a, a giant that we lost, and that uh, oh, is your your, your friend Freddie. and co-star Fred Fred yeah. Willard. Yeah. He was just you, you know the magic about Fred is kind of the magic about Martin Mull. That's maybe why they were perfect improv partners is uh, he just made everything better. Um, every joke, his delivery, his, his dryness, he, you know, he, he had a way of playing the dumb guy without playing the dumb guy. He, he did it so subtly, you know, it's like when you play dumb guys, okay, everybody gets it. He was when he played his character. He was the only one in the room that that thought he was brilliant as that dumb guy. Wow! He thought he was above everyone as that character. So that's what made it. You know what I call in comedy a twofer. You know, you give a guy a line, he gets two laughs out of it. The delivery was just was just you know uh, the best, and you know you couldn't find a kinder guy. And it was a, it was a real loss. But you know what we. We're so lucky we get to do what we love. Everyone in this podcast is doing what we dreamed of, what we loved. And, you know, you take a lot of hits in the business, but we have to remember you're going to walk by a million people in your life and very few get to do what they love. And you could tell with Fred Willard that it never got old to him, that he was grateful every day. Great scene stealer. What you wrote, what you what you tweeted about him was moving. You said it was an honor to share the stage with him. It it, it was, it was, and I mean, it it was really hard sometimes not to go up and laugh in front of people. You know, you almost prayed you didn't have a scene with Willard or Chris Elliott, because uh, you know Chris Elliott, I I, I just had the hardest time keeping it together in a scene with him because he had he just brought, you know, he had a toolbox of stuff comedically, and and Fred did too, you know. Look at those jeans for, for, yeah, for Chris. You, you got yeah. that right. Yeah. 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 Two, no, no two funnier guys than those, than yeah. those two you're, guys. You're right. From, from, you're my, right. from my money. I, yep. I, as, as we wind down, I want to thank Brad personally for an experience that I had with him, which is the two days that you came to co-host The View. Uh, and I, went, I thought that would have ended the show. <laughs> I would, yeah. I, I, my co-writer and I laughed as much as I've laughed during this episode. Oh, uh, uh, thank you. That was Boy, that. I had that, a lot of fun. That was a magical two yeah. days. It was amazing. The immediate hate mail on Twitter <laughs> was just because you know Twitter. Yeah. Twitter was brand new, and it, and I remember you know the PAs in the wings going, "Oh, they hate him in Atlanta." <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the fu- the funny thing is that Barbara, you were there two days in a row. Bar- yeah. Barbara loved you the first day. You you, yes. were, you were a shiny new toy, and she was yeah. absolutely fascinated. And, right. and and amused to death by you. Not so yes. much day two. <laughs> Not so much day two. Not so much day two. Yeah. Well, listen, look. She's not alone. You know what I mean? She's not alone. I'm a tough cup of coffee. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what do you think happened day two, Frank? I just didn't stop. You did. What, you, what, yeah, what, you what was were, it? You were just hammering it and hammering it. You went. I yeah, think you you, yeah. you you went for broke from the beginning. Look, we weren't used to having a co-host like that. 
to having right. some, to having right. a loose cannon in the in the morning meeting in the makeup room. Right. It was it right. was like a hurricane blew in. It was uh, so. I'll, if I had a talk show, I'll never forget it. I, I should just name it. Let me talk. <laughs> and it's not about anybody else. It's not about anybody else. Yeah. Uh, I want to recommend your wonderful book. Uh, it's when too the, late. When the balls drop, uh, people can yes. still get it. On, listen, listen. Oh, we I, move, I got 900 copies in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> we move books on this show, Brad. Pre-signed. Pre-signed. Gilbert will appreciate the fact that uh, in a politically correct moment, you didn't want to refer to midgets as midgets. So right. you referred to them as ground angels. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. The book is filled with funny <laughs> stories. Thank you. And it's more Thank than a showbiz you. memoir. It's also it's about marriage and child rearing and and aging. My wife, uh, we downloaded the Kindle. My wife read the foreword, the the the, the what gave the title, what, what yeah. bas- basically the uh, the reason for the title. And she said, "You got to run in here and read this." We were uh, it's ju- it's, ju- it's that. just that funny. And I want to yeah. tell people to to uh, to find it. That's how many too. friends I have in the business. I had to write my own foreword. <laughs> I don't think that's usually done, right? Yeah. You could have called Gil. Yeah. Yeah, Gil or, yeah, Gil wouldn't have done. I would never give him that pressure. (laughs) But I miss you, Gil. I remember when you worked the club in Vegas, we still talk about it, how you destroyed for an hour and how how everyone wanted me to send you love. Oh, thank you. He did a whole hour? Oh, he did. Wow. Oh, he did. He just destroyed it, man. We were crying. Right. Thank you. Gil, you're usually looking at your watch at 32 uh, minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know I am. They're, they're not through with the intro when I'm ready yeah, to they, go. <laughs> the intro, exactly. And I, I also want to recommend, like I said, season two of Fargo. And, and, and to our listeners... And people do take our recommendations for reasons known only to them, Brett, to to uh, to find the uh, the episodes of Law and Order SVU, which is a different side of you, you. a different side of your talent. And really, again, very impressive. You you, I I hate to tell you you that you you play a you play a creepy, scary guy. Very convincingly. Yeah. Yeah. Are people yelling Kramer at you on the street? I get Kramer a lot. That's when you know the career is over. I, I get Kramer all the time, and it's um, and and like with Sinatra, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it. That's you it. You know, they'll go Kramer, and I'll just say, Jerry. You know, I, I just think I'm gonna go for it because you know the 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 blooms off the rose, so they um, they have no idea who I am anymore. And and let's plug your foundation, the Maximum Hope Foundation. Ah, uh, thank you're you. Doing, you're That's doing a, you're doing important work. Yeah, yeah. Maximum Hope. We help families that have children with life limiting illnesses, and we help them with daily necessities. And you could uh, find out what we do at uh, www. Is there a dot? Yeah, Maximum Hope Foundation. So. org. And and, and you're, you're doing you're you're we're, holding poker tournaments and and, and things of that we do nature poker to raise tournaments. money. We raise money at the club in 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 Vegas, and we do poker tournaments and. Uh, and it just, you know, there really aren't many uh, foundations for families that are struggling taking care of a, a child that's very ill. And we literally help them with daily necessities, whether it's groceries or car payments or rent. And, and they get help within 48 hours. And it's really, it's really cool. Um, Good for very you. Very lucky to be Good involved. Good for you. Thanks. That's, that's, val- that's valuable. 
Oh God, I'm, All right. my chest hurts. Gilbert, what else you have for this man? You gotta get out more, Frank. I know. <laughs> well, Dara's on my case because I haven't been out of the house in 80 days. Yes, I understand. And, <laughs> and one day we'll- hey, Dara, so cute. What, one you. day we'll have Cutie. to get one day we'll have to get together and see who sold less books. Um, no reason <laughs> to make the drive. I got you beat, Gil. Let me save you the drive. I beat you by about fifteen thousand. It was it was it was, it was unbelievable. All right. It was unbelievable. So I've never heard of a book that literally there's like three paper uh, three hardcovers out there. Three hardcovers. It went to paperback like an hour after the uh, after it landed. It was unbelievable. Brad, I'm not blowing yeah. smoke up your ass when I tell you Thank we've you. done 320 of these. I've read a lot of books. Thank you. Laughed from start to finish. So yeah, I stop our, reading. Uh, stop uh, reading. Frank. No one cares. No, 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 you have to do what Gilbert tells you. Look, look at the size of them. Do, do what Dara said. That's how you keep your life right. I am afraid of Dara. Right. Uh, and I gotta tell you, Gilly, I love your special. And you know what I love? That Halloween night. It made me well up because I used to remember when I would once in a while miss Halloween because I was on the road and. I just loved that special. And I love that you brought the humanity into it. You'll always have the humor, but that you brought the humanity and we got to see that side of you and your beautiful family is such a tribute. Oh, thank you. So kudos to you, my friend. Thank you. John, get some help. <laughs> and uh, Frank, I hope you never have to go back to The View. Uh, <laughs> in a week. Do you, do you seriously? Still, you're still there? I'm on. Yeah, I'm on hiatus for a week. Oh, you, you're making the you're making the Oprah money now. Good uh, for you. It's not bad. <laughs> Good uh, for you. Do you see Dave? Will you give him our love? I will. Please. I will. I talk to him all the time. Thank please, you for that. Please do. I owe him a call. Thank uh, we, you. He's I the best. I don't know when I've laughed more at a show, Gil. That yeah, maybe the last show. <laughs> Be well, everybody. Thank Thanks for you. having me. Thank you, Brad. 